What is going on, Odds Breakers family? Welcome back. Another episode of the Deeper Dive with Michael Fordham. Uh, second episode here of the you know college football reaction show, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to come on here every Sunday and kind of run through what we saw uh, in the college football weekend. Obviously, a lot to get to today. Uh, I want to simplify it to eight main takeaways. Uh, so I'll, I'll go through those eight takeaways uh, and, and kind of how I fared here uh, in week zero and week one. Uh, first of all, though, want to say the oddsbreakers.com is your number one source for sharp sports betting information. we got tons of handicappers over there doing their thing. Myself, obviously, Kiev uh, doing college football uh, and the NFL starting back up. Farley Betts had a great year in the NFL last year. I'm sure he's going to do great again this year. Nick Hub, Patrick Gates. we got a full team over there at theoddsbreakers.com. So head over there and check us out. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get right into the episode. First of all, uh, starting out with, with how I fared uh, on the betting side of things. I mean, five and six. Uh, minus 0.82 units, so obviously carried over that Illinois win in week zero uh, into this week, so uh, somewhat disappointing. Uh, we, we did have some thrilling wins. I'll leave the whole results right here. I mean, we that Georgia-Oregon uh, under was a thrilling hit, needed everything to go right in the fourth quarter, and it did. Also, UCLA, I mean, uh, they basically spotted Bowling Green 14 points. Uh, they had a, a punt blocked for a touchdown on the first drive, and they also muffed the punt at the two-yard line, so uh, basically, we're we're fighting an uphill battle there. I, I think the fact that that game covered shows you that, that it was the right side. Uh, really, Boston College really screwed us over. They're up 14-6 at halftime. Um, but, man, they had a horrible second half. Three turnovers in, in, in all. Uh, and they had a fumble uh, inside the 10-yard line that gave Rutgers the ball at the 6. That stuff just can't happen. So uh, that was pretty disappointing there. And it's still, uh, last year in college football, Hit it a 55% clip, netted over 27 units. Feel good about how we're going to do the rest of this year. Funny enough, week two last year was actually uh, my best week of the season. Went eight and one, uh, had a really, really good week uh, two last year. So uh, if history repeats itself, should be a great week coming up for us. I want to get into some takeaways overall, though, uh, here on this week one uh, slate. The first one to me is pretty obvious. Georgia is as dominant as they've ever been. Uh, I mean, that per the, the perception going into to this season for Georgia was all oh, they lost so much defensively with the Kobe Dean, Trayvon Walker, the number one overall pick. Obviously, last year's team was just maybe the best defense in the history of college football, especially in the modern era when you consider how far offense has come in this sport. The reality of it is, though, Georgia is as good as they've ever been. Defense looked great yesterday. Uh, I mean, Bo Nix and Oregon had no shot. Bo Nix was under five yards per attempt. I mean, 21 to 37 doesn't look terrible on the surface, but he was zero threat uh, down the field as a thrower. Uh, they, you know, stopped the run pretty well. Well, I mean, Oregon had some success in the run game, but the reality of it is Georgia's offense had that game in a chokehold from start to finish. I mean, they scored on all of their first seven possessions uh, and Stetson Bennett. I, I, this is where I was right. And I've said this all offseason. There's this perception around Stetson Bennett that, oh, if he's playing at Missouri, he's a mediocre quarterback. That's a hypothetical, obviously. We don't know. The reality of it is, though, Stetson Bennett has done a great job here at Georgia. Last year, he was over 10 yards per attempt. That stuff doesn't go unnoticed. Uh, that is an elite mark to have as a quarterback. And, and yesterday, he, I mean, he looked like he was in complete control of that game. 25 of 31, 368 through the air, two touchdowns, no picks, uh, 12 yards per attempt. I mean, uh, Georgia offensive line did great. Uh, he wasn't sacked at all. Lad McConkey certainly had a breakout game. But, you know, put some respect on Setson Bennett's name. 
this perception that, and I've kind of pushed this to some degree too, that Georgia was so good defensively last year that it wouldn't have mattered who was playing quarterback. Um, that can be true, but Stetson Bennett is not just some mediocre, you know, Juco transfer type of guy. He's developed into one of the best quarterbacks in the country, a top 10 quarterback in college football. Coming into the year, I had him as the number three quarterback in the SEC behind Bryce Young, obviously, but also Hendon Hooker. Uh, and I got a lot of pushback for that. For, I mean, I, like I said, a lot of people have this perception that, oh, if Bennett was at Missouri, he'd be an average quarterback. I don't know. Uh, he looked great yesterday. And, you know, I, I was, I, I played the under, like I said. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think the fact that it hit uh, just, just kind of, you know, shows you how slow Georgia runs offensively because they scored uh, in their first seven possessions and it still came through. So, but even I was surprised at, it, you know, how, overmatched Oregon look defensively because Oregon is physical uh, in their front four on, on that end of the ball. Uh, they got a good linebacking core with uh, Noah Sewell, Justin Flo. I mean, Georgia made this look like they were playing Samford or Wofford or one of these FCS teams. I mean, it, this was a total mismatch. My main takeaway from week one, Georgia looks as good as they've ever been uh, and seemed destined to make a run at the national title here once again. Second takeaway here in week one, and you know maybe this is somewhat unfair because Ohio State had a lot of expectations uh, placed on their offense, including by me, but I mean, they obviously beat Notre Dame 21 to 10, but my main takeaway from that game is maybe Ohio State is maybe not as elite and just unstoppable offensively as we might have thought. Um, I mean, CJ Stroud looks fine. He actually made some plays outside the pocket to extend drives, but at the end of the day, I mean, putting, I mean, I, and I kind of push this narrative too. So I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm putting my hand up here, but there was a perception around Ohio state coming into the season that they're going to put 40 on everybody with Stroud. Who's, you know, probably the Heisman favorite this year with Travion Henderson, Jackson Smith and Jigba uh, and some of the young receivers they have, this is going to be an unstoppable offense. Well, they were stopped last night. So, uh, and listen, I'm not paying disrespect to Notre Dame because they, they stepped up for that matchup better than I thought they would. I laid the 17 with Ohio State, uh, and that obviously didn't come through. So, you know, give credit to Notre Dame. I mean, uh, I had a lot of question marks about them coming into the game. Uh, but I'll say this, though. If you would have told me that Notre Dame was held to 10 points uh, and Ohio State didn't cover, I would have told you you were crazy. So uh, I, I think the main takeaway from that Ohio State game is just that their offense, while, while it's probably still a top five offense in the country, hell, Maybe this is a one-off first game of the season type of deal, and they do go, you know, put forty on everybody. But it just kind of speaks to the point that, uh, especially in a sport like college football, there are no absolutes. Anything can actually happen. So you can't truly say that uh, th this team is so good that they're going to do blank on everybody. I mean, uh, I, I think even Georgia's defense last year. I mean, Alabama put forty-eight on them in the SEC title game. Now that was obviously a fluke. It really came in that second quarter of that game, but uh, more so just a general takeaway from this is anything can truly happen. There's still variance in the sport. It'll be in interesting to see. Uh, obviously, Ohio State's schedule gets a bit easier here after playing a top five matchup to start the year, but I am interested to see uh, kind of what the fallout is from this. Uh, like I said, Stroud wasn't as effective down the field as I would have projected him coming into this game. Uh, Notre Dame also just completely took uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba out of the game. He only had two catches for, uh, I think it was three yards. Uh, Emeka Abuka uh, was kind of the, the breakout guy outside for the Buckeyes, which, I mean, if you're Notre Dame, yeah, we're going to take away your best guy and, and make one of those young guys beat us. So I you know, can't blame them there. No team is good enough to where you can just roll the ball out there and, and you know put 40 on anybody. I'm kind of at fault for pushing that narrative as well. 
this is still college football. So, uh, you know, good win for the Buckeyes, but maybe they're not as invincible as we all thought coming into the year. All right, third takeaway here in week one, man, that Utah-Florida game, I, I was at the Texas game. You see Bevo back there. I was at the Texas game, so I actually didn't get to watch this game live. Kind of went back this morning and rewatched the condensed version. Man, Utah, what a gut-wrenching loss on the road in Gainesville. See, there was multiple times in that game where, where they had a chance to really, I don't want to say put it away, but it just never felt like they really seized that moment. I mean, they had the ball on the goal line. I think it was the third quarter. Uh, they had second and goal from the, the one, I believe. Tavion Thomas slipped on what probably would have been a touchdown. They end up getting, you know, uh, you know, stood up on the goal line on fourth and goal. So that's a missed opportunity. But, I mean, Cam rising in that fourth quarter on the last drive. You're down three. You got the ball inside the 10. And, and he just made a terrible decision. You know, my read about Cam rising coming into the game is, you know, he, he's not a special quarterback. But he's a really, really good quarterback. He's not going to lose you games. And listen, it, it comes down to more than that one play for Rising. I think it's unfair to put the loss on him, obviously. But a, a guy like that cannot make that throw. I know his receiver slipped in the end zone. But the reality of it is it, it was in double coverage in a almost impossible window to fit it in. So uh, just a gut-wrenching loss for Utah. And, and you know to have those two opportunities in the red zone and come away empty-handed, empty uh, it's not hard to see why you lost that game. Obviously, though, there's the other element to it, too. A great win for Florida. If, if you watch the channel, you know that I'm not particularly high on Florida. I had a lot of questions about Anthony Richardson coming into the season. My general concern about Florida over the course of this season uh, still stands. I think depth-wise, defensively, is an issue for them. Really, kind of all three areas. I think their front-line guys uh, are, are pretty good, and so it's not all that surprising that you know they actually looked pretty good last night. Um, but I think down the course of the season, depth could become a pretty big concern uh, for this Florida team. But I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to hide it. Anthony Richardson exceeded my expectations last night. I mean, I, I wouldn't say he, he lit it up through the air as a passer, but I mean, 17 to 24, that's plenty acceptable for a guy who's still young, still trying to work his way into this sport uh, as a every down quarterback. But man, his he's fast. He's got a great feel to, for when to tuck it down and run. That's why having a mobile quarterback can, can really hide some of your issues offensively because, you know, when Florida enters SEC play, even when they play Kentucky this coming week, I mean, I'm not all that confident that, that, that they're going to be able to run them in between the tackles. But, man, having a, a dynamic quarterback like Richardson who can just tuck it and run for 25, 30 yards at, at really any point, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really big difference maker. So hand up. Anthony Richardson exceeded my expectations. Uh, now, now the challenge for Florida really is now you basically got to go play the same type of game next week. You put a lot into this win at Utah, kind of uh, escaped by the, the skin of your teeth. But I mean, Kentucky is a very similarly built team. Uh, Kentucky's got a really good running game with Chris Rodriguez Jr. I think Will Levis and Cam Rising are pretty comparable. Uh Kentucky fans are going to uh, grill me for that one because they think Will Levis is like Aaron Rodgers, literally. Um, but I, I think that's the challenge for Florida is, you know, really tough start to the season. Uh, my concern for them still stands, but I do think Anthony Richardson looked great and great start to the Billy Napier era uh, in Gainesville. All right, fourth takeaway here. Man, that was a great start to the day yesterday. Obviously, we had North Carolina State at East Carolina. Uh, that game ended in extremely dramatic fashion. If you didn't see North Carolina state goes on the road to Greenville as 12 and a half point favorites, I believe is what it closed at. Uh, they win 21 to 20. Uh, but you know, you might be asking, well, I, 
How did East Carolina get to 20? Well, they tied the game up late in the fourth quarter. They missed the extra point. They end up getting a stop uh, and getting the ball back. They're driving down the field. Mike Houston, and one of the more head-scratching uh, moves ever. I mean, if your kicker just missed an extra point, uh, why are you playing for a field goal? Uh, uh, listen, we know college kickers are extremely unreliable, especially when your guy is coming off a missed extra point. I, I, I don't see why you don't try to drive the ball down the field uh, and try to end the game with a touchdown. You got so much experience on that offense. I, I thought that was just a poorly managed end of the game for Mike Houston. Obviously, uh, a great game overall by East Carolina. Uh, and listen, for North Carolina State, that's one of those games. It, it was absolutely a trap game. It's an in-state rivalry. Greenville is a tough place to play. Uh, I, I'm very high on North Carolina State. I sprinkled on them to win the ACC. I think they're good enough to go into Death Valley and beat Clemson. I really do. Uh, th this is one of those games. Just survive in advance. Get out of Greenville with a win. I'm not going to overly hold that against them. I do think they still have concerns, mainly uh, with that running game. It's never really been a, a big staple of what Dave Doran does since he's been in rally. Uh, but, you know, defense look good. I'm still high on North Carolina State overall. A great game to start the day. Uh, I, I think the one that probably more y'all watched. Well, I mean, both those games were, you know, kind of back to back crazy endings. But I mean, North Carolina, uh, North Carolina at App State. I don't even know where to start. I mean, the, the total in that game was 55 and a half, 56. Uh, it finished 63 to 61. So just a total uh, shootout in Boone. Uh, North Carolina looked really good. I mean, Drake May, uh, th there was a lot of hype about Drake May coming into this matchup. I didn't believe it because North Carolina was 0-6 on the road last year. Mac Brown has talked about, you know, this is the most question marks he's had about a team coming into a season. Uh, so I wasn't so sure that North Carolina would look as sharp as they did yesterday offensively. Uh, but, you know, Tip your cap to, to Drake May. He was very well touted coming out of high school uh, and certainly seems like, like he's uh, going to give North Carolina a good chance this year. But uh, North Carolina gave up 40 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, obviously, with Chase Bryce, very experienced quarterback for App State. They got good running backs, good receivers. I mean, they're just good offense. Uh, it's not that surprising, but North Carolina is just not well coached. Let's just call it what it is. Whether it be you give up 40 points in a quarter to a group of five team, I know it's App State. I know they're a pretty good team. That is still incredibly embarrassing. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But not only that, that onside kick at the end of the game. So just, just, just to kind of lay it out, Appalachian State ties the game, or excuse me, they, they go down one, 56 to 55. They end up going for two uh, and missing it. So their only chance to get back in the game is to recover an onside kick with less than a minute to go. They kick the onside kick. Um, and it's recovered by North Carolina. But instead of going down and the game being over, they, they take it in the end zone for a touchdown. I mean, that's like day one stuff. Go down. The game is over. They go score a touchdown to go up eight. But then, then you give App State the ball right back. Uh, and there was a 15-yard penalty on the celebration that you know gave App State better field position. What do you know? App State in three plays goes down and scores. Unfortunately, they missed the, uh, the they missed the two point conversion again. Uh, Chase Bryce is going to be thinking about that one today. But I mean, for for a season as uh, Mac Brown is the head coach, uh, he he's definitely up there. He's old. Um, and I was I'm a Mac Brown guy. I grew up with Mac Brown. Gave me a great childhood here with Texas. But that's a poorly coached team. Let's just call it what it is. You could see that coming from a mile away. When North Carolina, you know, punched that in uh, and then had that 15-yard penalty, you knew App State was going to go score. They did. Thankfully, though, North Carolina escapes. Um, I mean, 
<laughs> giving up 61 points is just terrible, though. And they had a game like that last year against Wake Forest where it was like similar type of just shootout game, no defense whatsoever. Um, I don't really know what to take away from that, but uh, I do think North Carolina fans have a lot to be excited about with Drake May. Uh, I, I was you know, kind of uncertain as to how that quarterback battle would shake out, but it seems like it's played itself out uh, here early in the season pretty well. Nevertheless, great two games to start the, the, the Saturday uh, with those two big North Carolina schools. All right, takeaway number five here from week one, that Cincinnati-Arkansas game was another great game. Uh, I know Arkansas, I, I had Arkansas on a money line parlay. I have Arkansas over the seven and a half wins. I love that team. I love the makeup of that team. I love the way they're coached. Cincinnati could have won that game, but just way too many mistakes. It's very similar. The way I view this game and just kind of the fallout for Cincinnati, it's just what we talked about with Utah. Going on the road in an SEC environment, you just can't make the, the caliber of mistakes that Cincinnati made. I mean, in that first half, they, they were driving. They believe they had the ball at the 26. At Arkansas, 26. So in theory, you're in field goal range. Uh, ben Bryant throws an interception. Arkansas takes it all the way back. It wasn't a pick six, but obviously a huge flip of field position. You miss out on points there. He had two missed field goals, including a total chip shot. Uh, I believe it's a 28-yard field goal. Uh, so two missed field goals. That's six points off the board. Uh, and then they had to settle for a field goal as well when Arkansas uh, fumbled the ball inside their 10-yard line. You're not going to go on the road to a team like Arkansas as well-coached when you make that many mistakes. Uh, Cincinnati's offense looked better than I thought. Uh, they, they didn't look good in the first half, but Ben Bryant, he actually eventually settled in, played pretty well. I mean, he threw for over 300 yards. Wasn't necessarily as efficient uh, as you'd like, but I wasn't expecting him to be. Uh, I'd say overall, that offense actually might have exceeded uh, my expectations, but you, you're just not going to go on the road and beat Arkansas uh, making those kind of mistakes. And I, I wouldn't have really expected them to go down that way, given Luke Fickle and kind of how he's built that program. Um it's still a good win for Arkansas, though. I, I didn't think they'd cover the six, six and a half. They did by a point, uh, half a point, depending on what line you got. Uh, but still a good win. KJ Jefferson looks just totally in sync with Kendall Bryles. I love that offensive system. Rocket Sanders had a big day, 20 uh, carries for almost 120 yards. They were able to integrate some of those young receivers. Um, you know, as far as Arkansas's defense, I, I like the way they're coached. I think they're schemed up well, but... Uh, I think it's a pretty attackable unit. I think we kind of saw that in the second half yesterday. I'm interested to see kind of how that plays itself out over the course of the season. Still, though, a uh, big win for our Arkansas over the seven and a half wins bet. Uh, if Boston College wouldn't have screwed us over, we would have been able to cash in that money line parlay uh, with Arkansas finishing it off. But, uh, you know, good win for the Hogs. It's one of those games. And, you know, obviously fans aren't like sports betters where you're trying to cover a certain number especially in a game like this, a win is a win. Uh, I wasn't really expecting Arkansas to win this game handily, uh, but I was actually surprised maybe at how Cincinnati uh, lost this game in Fayetteville. All right, takeaway number six, uh, you know, kind of talking more macro level uh, here. I want to talk about a few quarterback situations uh, that I think we may have more clarity on after yesterday, starting with Michigan. I talked about this on last week's episode, but uh, obviously Jim Harbaugh has chosen to take that quarterback competition into the season. Um, he started Cade McNamara yesterday, and then J.J. McCarthy will start next week. Um, if J.J. McCarthy plays well next week, 
he is going to be the starter there. Uh, I don't think Cade McNamara did himself any favors yesterday. Just 9 of 18 through the air, uh, 7.6 yards per attempt, and he had one chunk play uh, that did kind of elevate those numbers too. So I don't think it's fair. I, I've said this already, and I'll say it again. I do think Cade McNamara throughout the course of the season gives Michigan a better chance to win uh, because while J.J. McCarthy might have the higher upside, while he might be a more naturally talented thrower, Cade McNamara led you to a playoff. He's proven you that he can take care of the football. And, you know, he's gone on and won some huge games. I mean, they won the Big Ten last year. They beat Ohio State. They went on the road and beat Penn State. They won some tough road games. Like, uh, we don't know if J.J. McCarthy is going to be able to do that. So, uh, I do think J.J. is going to win it at this point. I don't I don't think it's really fair to judge McNamara off one game. Uh, I, I really do just don't like the way this quarterback battle has been managed. People can, you know, uh, dis disagree with me on that. That's fair. But it's my opinion. Uh, I, I just don't think that this is going to work out the way Michigan fans think it will. Uh, because, listen, Michigan goes, they have a pretty easy September, uh, but they go to Iowa, uh, I think week five. Uh, and listen, I know Iowa was a, a, you know, butt of a lot of jokes yesterday, played a very low scoring game, but uh, that recipe works. It's worked for a long time. Iowa's never been good offensively, but they got a great defense. They're extremely well coached. They're great on special teams. And that's a tough place to play. So, uh, Cade McNamara has proven you that he's going to win those types of games. We don't know if JJ McCarthy is going to go in there and be poised. So that's kind of where I fall on it. Uh, but it does seem after yesterday, I'd be very surprised uh, if, if we don't see JJ McCarthy become the full-time starter uh, after next week's game. Uh, much different tune here with Ole Miss. Um, you know, when they got Jackson Dart, uh, he was a, you know, uh, they actually rank these transfer uh, portal moves now. I think he was a top five transfer portal rated player uh, coming out of USC, a big get for Lane Kiffin. Uh, I think a lot of us just assumed that he was just going to pick up uh, right off where, where uh, Ole Miss left off with Matt Corral. Now, obviously, in retrospect, that's not fair. He's still a young guy, and it definitely took Matt Corral years to to develop into the quarterback that, that he became at the college level. Um if you followed Ole Miss throughout the spring, throughout fall camp, this has not been a very steady quarterback situation. And we actually saw that play out uh, in a real game yesterday. Uh, the SEC went 10-1 and against the spread uh, in those FBS versus FBS competition yesterday. Ole Miss was the only team that didn't cover. They won 28-10. I'm not saying uh, red flag city. Uh, Ole Miss is in huge trouble or anything, but... I mean, Jackson Dart just didn't look that good. I mean, the, the offense only put up 28 points, and a lot of that was due to Zach Evans, who, you know, is probably the more important uh, transfer import uh, for Lane Kiffin, running back from TCU, former five-star that uh, should have been playing at Georgia, if not for some of his uh, character concerns. But uh, Zach Evans is a really good back, so uh, I, I think that elevates the floor of this offense. But, uh, you know, Jackson Dart didn't look sharp, and, you know, that's not some new developing story. He didn't look great in the spring. He didn't look great in the fall, so much so to where very uh, in-tune people, very astute college football analysts, thought that he might actually lose that job coming out of fall camp. So that's something to monitor, especially because in the SEC West, think about Arkansas. Their offense is extremely established. They're balanced. K.J. Jefferson's great, uh, and they got a really good run game. Mississippi State last night, I mean, third year in the air raid scheme for all those guys in that offense, third year for Will Rogers. They looked great against Memphis last night. Uh, obviously, you got Alabama. We'll see how LSU, AM, Auburn, how all that shakes out. But uh, Ole Miss is, you know, not some well oiled machine right now. I'm not, and listen, I, I'm not low on Jackson Dart long term. I think that I think it was a good pickup. 
Uh, but I, I think if you haven't yet, you kind of have to temper your expectations with this quarterback situation. It seems like Dart is going to be on a little bit more of a longer development curve. It'll be interesting to see uh, if, if, if that affects Ole Miss here in the short term this year. So did want to touch on both of those quarterback situations. Obviously very different uh, programs that are in different places right now, but thought each were worth talking about. All right, takeaway number seven. We got two more left. Um, you know, BYU might be a really good football team. Uh, and I'm happy about that. I grabbed their season win total at eight. I played that over the eight wins. I, this offense might be really good. Um, they destroyed South Florida yesterday. I think they got up 28-0 in the first 10 minutes of the game. Uh, if you ask people uh, who kind of the, the trendy kind of sleeper upset pick was yesterday, there was a lot of people out there saying South Florida, they got Gary Bohannon, all this. BYU quieted that within the first minute or two in that game. I mean, just a total beatdown in Tampa Bay. Uh, also, that game was delayed for a long time. So uh, I'd, say that, I'd say that's even more impressive for BYU to come out. I mean, that, that was a statement win. I, my, I had a best bet on the under, and not because I'm low on uh, BYU's offense or anything, but they play Baylor this coming week uh, in week two in Provo. Uh, I, I really didn't think that, that, that they would show a lot offensively last night. Uh, we actually saw that play out last year where they played Utah week two, went very vanilla offensively in week one. They might just be really good. I mean, Jaron Hall is an extremely underrated guy. He's mobile. Uh, he was very effective as a passer last year with all the weapons he has back with Gunnar Romney uh, and, and guys like that. I mean, th that, that's how BYU does things. There's a lot of continuity within that program. Uh, and, and, you know, Kalani Sataki has built that thing the right way. Uh, defense looked pretty good too. Gave up some stuff in garbage time, but it is what it is. My, I mean, BYU plays Baylor uh, this coming week. A lot of people were high on Baylor. Uh, Desmond Howard might not want to hear this, but BYU is favored by three. Uh, I actually just saw that opened up at Circus Sportsbook. BYU is the three-point favorite at home against Baylor. Uh, they're going to play Notre Dame in Las Vegas later in the year. I mean, BYU is a team that, that can really surprise people. I'm, I'm really glad that I grabbed their over eight wins. Uh, I think yesterday really confirmed a lot about what I believed about their offense coming into the year. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how many waves they make on a national scale, but BYU might just be a really good football team. All right, last takeaway here for week one. We're going to actually go all the way back to Thursday night. Um, this is a big you know, point for me. Purdue obviously collapsed at the end of that game against Penn State. Uh, in more ways than one. I mean, they were down 14 to 10 late in the second half. Uh, and, you know, basically Penn State's going to, you know, virtually signaling, you know, we're not going for a touchdown here. They you throw a little dump off pass and ends up going for a, you know, 70 yard touchdown or something like that. So they go, they're down 21 to 10 uh, at the half. They come out and just play great in the second half. So much so that they go up uh, by three, but their clock management at the end of that game was terrible. And I put out a tweet right after the game, uh, talking about Jeff Brom. And, and listen, I know Jeff Brom is a great uh, offensive mind. He always has been. Uh, he's a former uh, quarterback, obviously. But, he, you know, he's had good offenses at Purdue. But that game right there is just a testament and just a living example that winning is a learned skill. And it's kind of why I'm not high on Purdue this year. You know, they got the ball twice with five minutes or less in the game, uh, and just totally mismanage the clock. You know, just, just throwing the ball all over the yard, and that's great when it works, but their, their passing game was less efficient than I thought overall uh, than it would be against Penn State, but you got to run some clock off, dude. We could have foreshadowed this. If you go back and watch the video that I made about that Penn State-Purdue uh, game and, and kind of my preview of the game, 
Purdue has never been a, a team that can establish a run game. So but on the one hand, it's like, well, we're not a running football team. So why would, would we run the ball and you know just give them the ball right back? But on that same token, you've got to run some clock. You get the ball twice with five minutes or less. There's no excuse to be taking like 36 seconds off the clock in one possession. So between that chunk play at the end of the first half and just that clock management, um, just a brutal, brutal way to lose a game. It, and like I said, I think it just goes to, to a greater point that winning is a learned skill. I, you know, teams like Nebraska, it's the same thing. Nebraska was in every game they played last year, but you actually you have to actually go and take it at the end of these games. Learning how to win and fight through in the fourth quarter is a learned skill. Teams like Nebraska and seems like Purdue. I mean, for a guy like Jeff Brom to be as smart as smart of an offensive coach as he is, to uh, never have really been a championship level guy, uh, I I, I, I kind of think we saw why on Thursday night. So Penn State uh, avoids a travesty to start the year. Um, still got a lot of question marks about them. Sean Clifford, uh, obviously kind of underperformed, but you know, played well when it mattered most, uh, definitely a tough one to swallow if you're a Purdue fan. All righty guys, that's going to do it for today's episode. Like I said, I'm going to come on here every Sunday, uh, and kind of give you all my main takeaways, the actions, uh, to the prior college football week. Uh, these are also posted on YouTube. So uh, go subscribe to my channel on YouTube, Michael Fordham, follow me on Twitter at Fordham betting. And like I said, uh, theodgebreakers.com is your number one source for sharp sports betting information. Follow at the Oddsbreakers on Twitter uh, and follow us uh, and all of our handicappers over at theodgebreakers.com. Uh, we got Florida State LSU tonight. We got Clemson Georgia Tech tomorrow. So week one's not actually over. But with that being said, I wanted to come on here and give you all my main reactions here for week one. Uh, should have a great week two ahead. Appreciate you all tuning in. Enjoy the rest of your Labor Day weekend, and I'll be back with you all next week.